Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. We are back after the holiday season. I hope your Christmases, if you're celebrating, is good. And let's hope that 2021 is better than last year. This episode we will be featuring the Tier 6 Premium U.S. Navy Battleship, the USS Arizona. One of the most famous ships in the world, even people who don't know about warships or naval history usually know about the USS Arizona, and that's because of its unfortunate sinking, which killed half the people who died in Pearl Harbor. So yes, I did say that right. She did account for half of the casualties at the surprise attack in Pearl Harbor, which is very sad. Her loss was quite dramatic, and her she burned for two days after she had been sunk. But more on that later. And as per usual, we will start off with the news in World of Warships. And the biggest section of news that we have is the introduction of the Strasbourg. And that is a Tier 7 premium French battleship, and that is pretty much just a Dunkirk with slightly improved armor and a reload booster. Same hit points and everything, so I don't know if um, Strasbourg is necessarily the best ship at Tier 7, but it's... Uh, Certainly interesting, because it does improve on the weaknesses of Dunkirk a bit by adding some more armor and a reload booster, which I really felt was missing from the Dunkirk. Uh, I don't have the Dunkirk yet, although I am planning to get it, so you might see that coming in a future uh, podcast, but uh, there's plenty of missions and things that you can, or there's actually a campaign where you can get the Dunkirk, or not the Dunkirk, the Strasbourg. Um, other than that, that is pretty much... Uh, all the news that has been dropped. Uh, I guess there is the um, there's a new dockyard that you can do, and that uh, will reward you if you complete it with uh, the tier two premium Japanese destroyer, the Trakibana, and the tier five premium Japanese cruiser, the Yahagi, which isn't exactly a great ship. Um, yeah, I don't know, but uh, there's also the Tier 9 Japanese battleship, the Hizen, or Heizen. And uh, there's plenty of other rewards in the dockyard. I do regret not going into the Anchorage dockyard, because I think the Anchorage is a pretty good ship. I didn't spend money into that, but I probably should have. So uh, the Heizen might be an interesting ship to uh, obtain, certainly a rare one. Um... There's obviously the snowflakes, and these events are starting to come to an end. Uh, the snowflakes for tier 5 and up ships, you can get coal, steel, or a Sandra gift container, um, depending on what ship you have. There's also the, we're testing the rank season, which I believe is a little bit old now, uh, old news. Um, and now uh, there's uh, some, there's a new event for the U.S. battleships. And I guess they're trying to encourage people to play the U.S. battleships, the new ones, that is, because they're uh, not exactly the player's favorite ship that was introduced um, in 2020. So uh, if you play the Kansas, the Minnesota, or Vermont, you can participate in this Operation Blue Steel. And it essentially is just tracking the damage numbers of, that uh, people collect so um, and then ranking them. 
So if you uh, win the competition, which um, uh, is going to be fairly challenging to say the least, but if you win the competition, you get a t-shirt and USS Missouri, which is a rare premium ship that's no longer on sale. You can only get it from containers and obviously this competition. Uh, then second place is going to get a uh, Minnesota t-shirt of the Battleship Minnesota, and then they're going to get the Massachusetts, which is also going to be a rare ship, although you can still buy it. Uh, and then uh, third place is going to get a free Florida and the Kansas t-shirt. So if you manage to get Blur, uh, good for you. But uh, places 4 through 10, get a t-shirt. Places 11 through 50, get a container. And places 51 through 100 get 10 days of premium. Which I think is not a whole lot of rewards for placing a hundredth in a competition of the entire World of Warships community. Or at least that who has accessed the uh, high-tier American battleships. But if you want to uh, participate in that, go ahead. Other than that, not really much going on in the way of uh, news for World of Warships. So that's also it for listener mail because we did not receive any listener mail since our last episode, so I have none to read out. So if you have anything you want to send me, such as a suggestion for a ship to go over, or um, uh, just a comment on something I said, or uh, interesting thoughts about World of Warships or something that should be introduced into the game, you can send those thoughts to rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. I love reading your emails and will read them out on the uh, podcast if you don't specifically say not to. If you say not to, I obviously won't. But a quick note on uh, ship suggestions. So if you suggest a ship, there's a high probability that I will not have it. And so if that happens, like I don't have the Fletcher and I don't have the Alabama, which are two ships that I've also, that I've gone over in my podcast, I will still go over them, but it won't be a review. I have played against every single ship or almost every single ship in World of Warships or with every single ship in World of Warships. So I have a very good idea of all their strengths and weaknesses and what to look out for. So if you have uh, a ship that I don't have, which I have a few ships, um, you will get more of the how to play against versus how to play. And then just some tips, like you see with the last Fletcher episode, it's told you not to YOLO into a cap right away at the beginning of the of the game because that's not going to work well and the reason why i said that is because i've seen a lot of games where fletchers end up going into the cap and getting instantly deleted and then the players are in the chat wondering why they're not doing a good in the fletchers because they're not playing the ship right and some of you will be saying well why don't you have all these ships why aren't you like every other world of warships content creator well that's because i saw that there was a gap in um the i guess market for world of warships uh content so you see all these people on youtube like you're talking about knots or flambass um daniel rusev mighty jingles well maybe not mighty jingles but um and what was that or i said flambass yeah um and these people are absolutely amazing at world of warships they have pretty much everything they're usually community contributors which means that they get new ships that come out for free and they can review them and uh, post videos about them and say their thoughts and I'm not a community contributor I have to work for everything I get and I have to if I'm going to review a premium ship like do an actual review like my thoughts on it I would have to buy it and that's pretty expensive for someone like me who's still in high school I can't just go out and spend $80 on a premium ship 
And then so some of you may be asking, well, why did I listen to you for the song? And that's because I offer a different perspective than these people. Like Flamu is going to tell you the really highly skilled sort of view. Like he's a very, very good World of Warships player. So his thoughts are going to be come from, coming from a more skilled perspective, a more experienced perspective. Versus me, who's got a tier 8 ship, and that's about my highest tier ship. Well, well, I'm not going to get you experience. I'm going to get you an easier way to do things, such as uh, Flamu's video on uh, the Admiral Graf Spee said, get the Scharnhorst instead. Well, not a whole lot of people want to spend that much money on a premium ship, especially the casual players. They generally, tier 6 is about the highest or most amount of money that they want to spend on the premium ship. And maybe the Admiral Graf Spee is the only thing that they're willing to buy. And I can tell you that the Admiral Graf Spee is actually a really good ship. Or maybe, okay, not really good ship. It's not gonna, um, it's not gonna play for you. You still have to play it. But I can tell you some easier ways to do things and some tactics that don't require as much skill to do. Like Flamu did a video on HMAS Perth, a ship that I actually do have. If you want to see that in review, just let me know. Um, and his video had him charging a flank with his smokescreen and killing three ships right off the bat. Yeah, does that work? Sometimes, yes. But he, A, got very lucky there. And B, that was just incredible skill. Nine times out of ten, if you try to repeat that, that's not going to end very well. Assuming that those ships don't have a large enough gun to overmatch your bows... You can get citadel and deleted right away and then never even have a chance to do any damage, and that's really frustrating. So if all the guides on ships are like that and require show the highest skill version of the ship, well, people are not going to get what they expect. So my perspective is that I'll give you an easier way to do it. I'll give you something that will work with littler skill or a medium amount of skill. I'm pretty skilled at playing World of Warships. Some of you may even be more skilled than me. I'm not going to say I'm even the best World of Warships player. I'm a fairly new player. I've only been playing for two years. But I do have a huge knowledge on naval history and a very, very good knowledge on the game mechanics. So I will offer you a successful way to play World of Warships. And I have tactics that work for most every ship. And my World of Warships ship inventory is growing Every week. Every week I generally add at least one ship, usually. Some weeks I don't add any ships, some weeks I add three ships. Um, I recently finished my grind through the Langley, which, by the way, that's not a fun grind. I recommend just free XPing it if you have the free XP to do that. Um, I wish I would have done that because I did have a, enough free XP. I was just using my free XP on uh, the Baltimore. And uh, so now I have the Ranger, and I'm already well through the Ranger. But if you're curious what ships I do have and which ships I do not have, I will give you a rundown. So, of all the ships I reviewed, I've, I do have the St. Louis, or I used to have it. I have the Octoberskaya Revolucia. I have, or used to have the USS New Mexico. I have the Eagle. I ha have the USS New Orleans. I have the, um, the Langley. I have the Omaha. I don't have the Roma. That's because I saw Roma playing the ship wrong, so I wanted to give a guide as to how to play that ship. Um, I do have the Jean Wei. I do have, or used to have, the USS New York. I don't have the Grash Bay. That's because I saw someone playing the ship wrong, sitting at the back of the map, just spamming, I think, high explosive. Yeah, high explosive. Like a light cruiser. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how you're supposed to play it. I saw. I don't have the Veribus Unitas. Uh... 
and that's because I just wanted to have a different ship that was from the European line. I, plus, I think that ship looks cool. Um, I don't have the HMS hood. That's because I saw one, someone pushing this middle with HMS hood, and I was like, oh, no, that's not how it's supposed to be played. I don't have the USS uh, Alabama. That's because it was requested. I do have the USS Colorado. I don't have the Stalingrad. That's because I saw someone pushing the middle with the Stalingrad and got killed instantly and then was being toxic in the chat about his ship sucks and Jesus is doing him wrong. No, that's just not how you're supposed to play that ship. Um, and then I don't have the Fletcher because that was listener request. But I do have the Gahamada, which is basically... Or it plays very, very similar to the Fletcher. So you can expect reviews... Uh, ship reviews coming up for uh, lots of tier 6 ships and that's just because they have um, a large amount of history behind them versus you get in the higher tiers you don't have history uh, behind them like you look at the um, like uh, the, the Stalingrad has a decent amount of history but you look at like the Slava or the Kremlin or something like that where it's just kind of a made up ship the Kremlin is a Sylvetsky Soyuz with bigger guns and more armor um, versus, you know, like the Arizona we're doing today, tons of history there. Dunkirk, which I plan on purchasing, I believe. But if I have 4,000 doubloons right now that I'm going to purchase using the profits from the podcast, interestingly enough, so I can buy anything less expensive than the War Spite. So if you want the War Spite and less expensive. So if you want to see a ship uh, review like that, send me an email at Rank Amateur Podcast. All I'm saying is that I've had two requests now for higher tier ships. And I just wanted to let you know that I don't have a whole lot of higher tier ships because I have a life and I don't have a whole lot of time to grind every line like Flamu or something like that or just get all the ships because I'm not community contributor. So that's a, a very long tangent, but uh, so just saying expect more ship reviews rather than ship overviews coming from me later. Uh, I think next episode's probably going to be USS Baltimore. Just give you a preview. Might be, but maybe not. Baltimore should be an interesting review. Oh, and by the way, I did say, I think I said this earlier, but I do actually have the USS Arizona. I did get it from that Verizon deal. I am a Verizon customer, so I managed to get that for free, which was pretty nice. So I do love that ship. I play it a lot when I'm not trying to grind my tech tree ships, and I do have a lot of fun playing it. So, I think that's just about enough rambling for now. Let's get on to the history of USS Arizona. And welcome back to Rank Amateur. Now, we are on to the history of our subject ship for this episode, USS Arizona. So, the USS Arizona was a uh, Pennsylvania-class battleship built in the early 1910s, or ordered in the early 1910s, built in the mid-1910s. Um, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So she was ordered on March 4th, 1913, uh, laid down on March 16th, 1914, and launched on June 19th, 1915. She was commissioned on October 17th, 1916. So uh, she did cost $16 million, and which was a lot for that time period for a battleship, and there was some controversy as to uh, what the battleship should be named. There was some people throwing out names like Montana and South Dakota and things like that. And that's just because Arizona at that point, when the ship had been ordered, was only a state of the Union for a year or so, some, a little bit less than that. And so they thought that maybe other states were more deserving of a ship being named after them because they had stayed in the Union for longer. But it was named USS Arizona, and uh, let's get 
straight into the specifications of the ship. So she displaced 29,158 long tons standard, 31,917 long tons deep load, so fully loaded. She was 908 feet long, had a beam of, or that's 185.3 meters. She had a beam of 97 feet or 29.6 meters, which is actually fairly narrow for a U.S. battleship. Uh, she had a draft of 29 feet 3 inches, which is for the deep load, and that's uh, 8.9 meters. She had 12 water tube boilers, producing uh, 29,366 yeah, 29, shaft horsepower, and this was on sea trials. It didn't actually, uh, or it wasn't actually supposed to produce that much. It was supposed to produce 30,000 shaft horsepower, but they just weren't able to get that much power out of the turbines for some odd reason. Uh, she had four shafts, so Ford propellers, and uh, four sets of steam turbines, which drove those shafts. She had a maximum speed of 21 knots, which is the magic number for U.S. battleships. Pretty much all battleships up until the North Carolina class did go 21 knots. And that's annoying in World of Warships, but it didn't really matter that much in uh, World War I when these ships were being built. Uh, she had a range of 8,000 nautical miles, which is actually kind of short for battleship, at 10 knots, which is the standard cruising speed for pretty much every battleship of the time. She had a crew of 1,087. Uh, this was as built, and she this was increased in 1931 to 1,358. She was armed with four triple 14-inch turrets, uh, so that's 356 millimeter guns. She had 22 single 127 mil guns. Uh, she had four single 3-inch AA guns. This is as built, by the way, and two 21-inch torpedo tubes. Now these are the submerged type of torpedoes that cannot be um, they cannot be rotated anything, so they were very rarely used in combat just because of their short range. Uh, she had. Uh, belt armor that was 13.5 to 8 inches thick, so 343 to 203 millimeters, which is a lot because the belt did extend very far on U.S. battleships. The bulkheads were armed with 13 inches or 8 inches of armor, so 330 to 203 millimeters of armor. The barbettes were armored with 13 inches of armor, so 330 millimeters of armor. Yeah, this ship had a lot, a lot of armor. Um, the turrets were armored with 18 inches of armor. That's the most I've seen on a tier 6 ship, so a ship of this time. They were very heavily armored, and 18 inches is 457 millimeters. The decks had 5 inches or 127 millimeters of armor, and that's probably just concentrated around the superstructure because you wouldn't think that the ends would be that well armored, and they certainly are not that well armored in World of Warships because literally every shell or high-explosive shell that was thrown at this thing would shatter. The conning tower had 14 to 16 inches of armor, so 406 to 356 millimeters armor, and that's pretty typical of battleships because you do want to protect the command center very well. And so let's go on to the design of the ship. So uh, the Pennsylvania-class battleships, so what the USS Arizona was, was very similar to the Nevada-class battleships, which is what the USS Oklahoma is, and that's a brand-new Tier 5 premium U.S. battleship in World of Warships. Uh, except they were slightly improved, or uh, improved uh, majorly in some spaces, slightly in others. Uh, they were much, much larger, and they were as they were larger. They weighed more, and the U.S. Navy finally decided to do four triple turrets instead of two triple turrets and two 
two jubble turrets on their battleships. And this was continued through the New Mexico class of battleships and uh, did not continue through the Colorado class because they had four double turrets of 16-inch guns. So uh, these guns could not be elevated independently, which was a rather odd feature for warships because usually they fire their guns, unlike in World of Warships, they usually fire their guns singly. So you had one gun fire, then set another, then another. So they kind of ripple fire them. Uh, however, the while the USS Arizona could do this, it would have to raise all the guns, fire one, and then lower them to reload them, and then raise them again to fire them. You couldn't just do raise one, fire it, raise another, fire it, raise another, fire it, and all while the other ones are reloading, which is an interesting design trait. Uh, the Kirov class of Soviet cruisers actually had this as well, where they could not raise all the guns independently as they were housed in a single sleeve. Um... They, the guns had a theoretical maximum range of 21,000 yards, and as this is the 1910s in the United States, the ranges are all measured in yards, but that is equivalent to 19,000 meters, and 19,000 meters is equivalent to 19 kilometers. So even though this ship has a theoretical range of, I think, 16 kilometers, I always forget the ranges of the guns on this ship. Let me check real quick. Uh, yes, 16 kilometers stock without any upgrading buffs. Uh, the actual range was 19 kilometers, which I think it would have been nice to see World of Warships upgraded to 19 kilometers, but I suppose you can get close to 19 kilometers if you use the spotter plane. Anyways, um, and the ship did carry uh, 100 shells per gun, so uh, lots and lots of shells carried in the magazines for sure. And uh, that's just because you don't want to run out of shells for your guns in the middle of a battle because there's no port that's close. Although the... Pennsylvania class of battleships did carry 24 torpedoes for their two torpedo tubes. And this is kind of odd because battleships never really use their torpedoes. Uh, this is because they couldn't be rotated at all. So you'd actually have to rotate the ship to aim them. And battleships ideally never get close enough to use their torpedoes. So if you're using your torpedoes in a battleship, you've probably done something wrong. Now, this isn't strictly true in World of Warships, but it is true in history. Uh, so, the Pennsylvania class of battleships continued the all-or-nothing armor scheme, and that's not, like, all-or-nothing all over the ship. It's, like, there's critical parts of the ship that are armored to the nth degree, and there's other parts, like the ends of the ship, that are not armored at all. This means that it's very hard to citadel and get good penetrating hits on a uh, U.S. battleship, but it is not particularly resilient like a Kremlin or something or more Soviet ships are to high explosive spam um, so you know, the smaller guns could theoretically do a lot of damage if they uh, got close enough and uh, large guns are not particularly good at dealing with destroyers because they do move quickly and are hard to target so the machinery spaces and the magazines are the only places that had armor on the belt which is interesting, so it's easy to receive a penetration in the bow. But the whole point is that most likely a penetration in the bow is probably just going to over-penetrate, especially if there's uh, very little armor there. And the whole point of this all-or-nothing armor scheme was to make sure that these critical parts were heavily armored and near impossible to penetrate. Like, shells would just shatter against the side of the armor. So you, that's why you see the barbettes that have... Uh, 13 inches of armor, which is rather uncommon for a battleship. Usually you see around 10 inches of armor. Um, 
or so. And then you also see the deck that has 127 millimeters of armor on it. And now this was not all over the place. This was mostly concentrated on, over the machinery spaces and things like that. The uh, the ends of the the ship usually only had like three inches of armor, which is relatively easy to penetrate with plunging fire. So the Arizona was more designed to work at closer ranges, though, and that's because its uh, its armor on the turrets was very thick at the front, 18 inches, obviously as I have stated before. The sides were only 9 to 10 inches, which is still pretty thick, and the roof was only 5 inches. Uh, so that was 127 millimeters armor for the roof, and 229 to 254 millimeters armor for the side. And so essentially what these engineers are accounting for is that most of the fire is not going to be what's called plunging fire. And plunging fire is fire that occurs at a long range, so shells don't have like a, a super like uh, parabola sort of shaped uh, I guess, uh, arc. They're more, uh, round at the start and then very abrupt at the end. So they'll, they'll go higher and higher and higher, then start to come down and all of a sudden come down really quickly at longer ranges. Now at shorter ranges, it's more of a parabola. And this is because the elevations of the guns change. And then you start to, at maximum range, you start to round up propellants and force and all sorts of, um, uh, factors going into that but at closer ranges you get more of a laser sort of thing more of a beam and when you get more of a beam you're going to get things coming in from the side and that's why these turret faces are protected uh very very well versus the roofs which a longer range ship would have protected better uh are not very well protected because they're they're banking on the fact that the plunging fire is not going to come in through the roof because it's mostly going to be close range fire more coming like a laser uh, and that's why you see the conning tower being protected very well and the belt being protected very well. The only odd thing here is the deck has five inches of armor, which is rather strange because if you put five inches of armor on the deck, you'd think you put more than five inches of armor on the turrets, which sit right above the ammunition hoists. Uh, rather odd uh, design choice here with um, the armor of the ship, but... Uh, I guess it worked for them until Pearl Harbor when aircraft started attacking them and then their bombs were able to penetrate right through the 5-inch deck and into the magazines. More on that later. Uh, the deck did thicken over the steering gears from 3 inches to 6 inches and that's just to protect uh, the rudders and uh, obviously the steering gears from being disabled in mid-fire fight. As we see with the Bismarck, that did not work very well. Uh, when your steering gears are completely disabled. Although that was from a torpedo, so it's very hard to armor against that. Um, and the torpedo bulkhead was placed 9 feet 6 inches, or 2.9 meters, inboard from the ship's side. So that's uh, a area of the ship that's going designed to flood, but prevent the rest of the ship from flooding if a torpedo should strike the ship. Um, and this is supposed to... Uh, prevent the ship from sinking from a single torpedo hit, as some destroyers did, and some even some cruisers. And the ship did have a complete double bottom. Uh, so in 1914, they did test the system, and it revealed that it could withstand up to 300 pounds of TNT. Obviously, torpedoes in the 1940s started to get bigger than this, and this is where uh, torpedo protection upgrades and torpedo what are called torpedo bulges are fitted to the side of the ship. And torpedo bulges are just... Kind of like the same thing as these torpedo bulkheads, except they're kind of just steel boxes that are welded to the sides of the ship. And if you look at USS Arizona in the port, you can see 
that uh, there's like, or actually most U.S. battleships, you can see that there's a little flat area that sticks out just above the waterline from the hull of the ship, and that's those torpedo protections uh, bulges, and uh, that is supposed to provide superior protection to torpedoes, because in addition to that, you do still have that bulkhead that is sitting behind uh, the torpedo uh bulges and so you make yourself very very hard to take severe damage from torpedoes unless it's just a really really large torpedo or a lot of torpedoes as what happened with the oklahoma so uh we now get onto the history of the ship and the interesting history of uss arizona begins at her launch so 75,000 people attended the launch of uss arizona uh, including the mayor of new york city which is john poroy mitchell uh, George W.P. Hunt, which was the first governor of Arizona, as Arizona at this time was a fairly new state, as well as high-ranking uh, military officials. Uh, there was also several warships stationed around the launch, and that is Florida, Utah, Wyoming, Arkansas, New York, and Texas. And why they were stationed there, I don't really know, because World War One was not actively going on, plus this is like literally New York Harbor, uh, but... I guess they're just trying they're trying to keep the enemies from doing anything rash or maybe they were just there to show uh US naval might or something to the spectators possibly that that tends to happen a lot but the bottles that are traditionally broken on the bow of the ship is usually like a champagne bottle or something like that but there was a ban on alcohol passed by state legislature in Arizona so to acknowledge this there was two bottles that were going to be used one of them was from full of sparkling wine from Ohio, and another was filled with water from the Roosevelt Dam to show that they were going to uh, use alcohol or use liquids that were not alcohol to acknowledge the fact that uh, this ship was named for the state of Arizona, and so it should follow the rules of the state of Arizona. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. So shortly after her commissioning and test cruise, uh, out and outside of Gu Guantanamo Bay. Uh, USS Arizona stripped the turbine, which essentially what that means is that the turbine blades, uh, some of them, all of them, one of them, I don't know, stripped off and fell off of the turbine and prevented the turbine from working. Ironically, this happened on December 7th, which is the day in 1941 that the ship was sunk. Um, but it forced the brand new U.S. Navy battleship straight back into the shipyard for repairs on her turbine. And the turbine could not actually be repaired inside the ship. It was determined that a full replacement was needed. So they actually had to cut holes in the armored deck of uh, U.S. Arizona and lift the turbine out, repair it, and then put the turbine back in. And that kind of foreshadows the... I uh, just kind of the life of this ship, just in and out of the shipyards, and just lots and lots of bad luck. And so World War One began three days after the USS Arizona left the harbor on April 3rd, 1917, after her turbine repairs. And the problem with World War One is that huge naval units, such as that of the United States, and the United States had built many huge naval units, um weren't really needed and that's because the imperial german navy was kind of on its last legs at this point in the war it had basically been forced to stay inside their harbors in germany out of fear of the royal navy and so there wasn't a huge need for these ships and to further make situations worse for uh the use of u.s battleships in world war one is that there's there, it was hard to obtain oil in the United Kingdom. It was much, much easier to obtain coal. So 
the USS Arizona was not sent over to the United Kingdom to assist in war efforts because A, the fear of U-boats, and B, because there was very little oil out there for them to use as fuel. So eventually, four coal-fired battleships were sent over to the United Kingdom to assist them, but Arizona was not among them. However, she was part of this force of 10 battleships and 28 destroyers that was escorting the uh, then-President Woodrow Wilson in the ocean liner George Washington into Brest for the Paris Peace Conference. And they left the next day and took less than two weeks to cross the Atlantic, so they were really hauling, uh, and arrived in New York on the day after Christmas to parades and celebrations and actually a full naval review by Secretary Daniels, uh, Secretary of the Navy, I believe. And uh, Arizona was the first battleship in the line that was passing the docks in this naval review, and she fired a 19-gun salute. Um, then, after this, the battleships were anchored off of New York for several weeks and open to the public to come see them, which I wish the U.S. Navy would do more often uh, these days, but that would have been cool to see all those battleships just anchored off of the coast, and you're just able to go out there and walk across their decks and just check them out. That would have been so cool to see. Anyways, now we enter to the 1920s, and this is kind of when the boring period starts of U.S. Uh, Navy history, although not necessarily for the USS Arizona, or at least in the early part of 1920. So she was redeployed on uh, the early parts of the year to escort President Woodrow Wilson back to the United States after um, the Paris Peace Treaty was signed and uh, the negotiations were completed. However, after or shortly before Woodrow Wilson was going to leave, she was redeployed uh, to Samira, or which is now Izmir, which is a place in Turkey. Uh, and this was in response to tensions between Greece and Italy over the awarding of Samira to Greece in the Paris Peace Treaty. So the Greek government, or the Greek and Italian governments, had deployed warships to the area to kind of like show their interest in that area, and that was the Gregorios Evroff uh, for the Greek uh, forces and the Caliodulio for the Italian forces, which. Uh, one of them's a cruiser, and then one of them's a battleship. And Arizona arrived uh, when Greek when the Greek ground forces were deploying transports to the port to secure their, um, I guess, their dominance there. And this resulted in chaos in the city, and many American citizens who were living there actually uh, took shelter aboard the USS Arizona. So that's kind of cool. A U.S. battleship acting as sort of a sentry for U.S. citizens in a foreign landscape that's kind of in chaos. After this crisis was uh, dealt with, she returned to the United States and began an overhaul. And she was uh, fitted with a flying-off platform, which is uh, which was used to uh, have aircraft fly off of the uh, top of the turrets, and this was actually uh, given to Texas in March 1919, so a year earlier, uh, and this was just over the turrets of USS Arizona. It was eventually taken off of the ship uh, in favor of catapults, which were useful for launching much heavier aircraft into the air. 
and with six other battleships and 18 destroyers, USS Arizona, after her modernization, transited the Panama Canal into the Pacific Ocean. And she was based at San Pedro, California, and she was based there until 1940. And this is not where the interesting things end. In March 1944, sailors who went to shore as part of their shore leave uh, in North River off of Manhattan uh met a 19-year-old girl named Madeline Blair, or at least who they thought was named Madeline Blair. Uh, she said she wanted to go to Hollywood to become a star, but had did not have enough money for a fare. So she asked the sailors if she could stow away on USS Arizona because it was due to sail to California. So they smuggled Blair onto the ship, uh, and she cut her hair short, and the sailors provided her with a spare uniform. And... She was smuggled back on the ship in uh, during, or in the night, and she hid in a spare generator room. And so the cooks provided her food for $10 a day, and just so you know, a sailor's pay at the time was about $21 a month. Uh, so you might ask, well, how did a woman who had no money gain $10 per day to pay for her food? And, well, I'll let you guess that one. Um... But she was actually smuggled all the way down until Balboa, or yeah, Balboa, Panama, when the USS Arizona was preparing to sail from for California through the Panama Canal. So uh, Blair was still on the deck because she went up on deck during the night when people weren't looking to cool off because it was rather hot uh, inside the ship. So she was still on deck in the morning. And a chief radio operator noticed her and reported her to the deck officer. And a search was mounted, and the woman was apprehended. However, she didn't name the sailors who smuggled her onto the ship. However, she was quickly put ashore in Balboa, Panama, and sent aboard the SS, the SS Crystal Ball back to New York, where she belongs. And ironically, the U.S. Navy was actually billed for the fare of her return. Uh, so, what were the repercussions for the sh uh, sailors aboard the ships? Well, 23 enlisted men were court-martialed and sentenced to up to 10 years in prison. Um, and Admiral Henry A. Wiley uh, issued a letter of reprimand to all officers on the ship, including Fleet Admiral and Chief of Naval Operations Arleigh Burke. Um, and William D or V. Pratt actually thought that the penalties were excessive, and then when he became uh, chief of naval operations in 1930, and he was uh, an admiral at the time of this incident, uh, he ordered that the reprimands be stricken from the officers' records. Uh, however, he could not reverse the results of the enlisted men. Um, actually, in 1928, Blair published a story in the American Weekly magazine of the uh, San Francisco Examiner, uh, and this just went into detail about the um, her time on USS Arizona, which I find kind of interesting. So one of the most famous ships in U.S. Navy history actually had a stowaway aboard for a while. In 1929, specifically January of 1929, uh, USS Arizona was put into the Norfolk Navy Yard for uh, extensive remodel. And if you see pictures of the remodel, it lasted, I think, two years. And they literally stripped the ship down to the turrets and the bare deck, taking all the superstructures off. Um and rebuilt it. So there was new trimont masts that were mounted with new uh, three-tiered fire control directors, uh, new 
uh, gun positions, new superstructure, new uh, fire control directors, new boilers, um, I believe even new turbines. And the torpedo tubes on either side of the ship were removed in favor of adding more torpedo protection because it was now known that battleship engagements would occur at ranges in excess of the effective range of ship-launched torpedoes, or at least for battleships. So uh, it was uh, easier just to remove them and add more torpedo protection from smaller ships that could get closer without being detected like destroyers. In the 1930s, there was an earthquake in Long Beach, California, on March 10th, 1933, and this was when uh, USS Arizona had just been uh, passing by Long Beach, California. So the USS Arizona stopped in Long Beach and pr helped with the relief efforts, providing food and treating the in uh, injured from the earthquake, as well as providing security from looters. So another example of USS Arizona providing aid to other people that were not necessarily in the Navy. In early 1934, USS Arizona was actually featured in a film, which was Here Comes the Navy, and this used extensive uh, footage of the exterior of the ship as well as onboard shots from the ship. And on July 26, 1934, USS Arizona collided with a fishing trawler, which was um Umtilia, and uh, this fishing trawler was actually under tow by another trawler, and two men aboard the Umtalia were killed in the collision, and the Navy actually uh, convened a court of inquiry to investigate the incident, which resulted in Captain McGill McGilvery Mulaney, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but uh, the captain of the ship was court-martialed. Uh, nothing really happened in the rest of the 1930s, and so now we arrive at the 1940s, so specifically 1941. So the last sortie that USS uh, Arizona went on was on the night of December 4th, and that was actually a night firing exercise when she was part of Battleship Division 1. This was alongside Battleships Nevada and fellow Pearl Harbor casualty USS Oklahoma. After this, all three ships moored at Battleship Row on quays which are kind of just structures in the water that you can tie up to. Um, so not like a pier or anything, but like just kind of a, a tie-off point in the water uh, along Ford Island the following day. And on December 6th, the repair ship Vestal came alongside to assist the ship's crew in minor repairs. And now we get to the attack on Pearl Harbor. This is the final engagement of USS Arizona. And so I'm sure most of you kind of know what happened. So shortly before 0800 hours local time on December 7th, 1941, Japanese aircraft from six different aircraft carriers struck the Pacific fleet as it lay in port at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And so on board USS Arizona, the ship's air raid alarm went off at about uh, 0755, and the ship went to General Quarters soon after. So General Quarters is just kind of synonymous with battle stations or action stations. Um, and it just basically means that the crew should get to uh, their battle stations as quickly as possible. So uh, shortly after 0800 hours, 10 Kate torpedo bombers, uh, 5 each from the carriers, Kaga and Hur uh, Huryu, attacked the Arizona 
they were carrying 41 centimeters, so 16.1 inch armor-piercing shells modified into 779 or 797 kilogram or 1,757 uh, pound bombs. They were flying at an estimated altitude of around 3,000 meters or 9,800 feet. Uh, and the Cagos aircraft bombed uh, USS Arizona from amidships to stern, and the Hiryu's bombers hit the bow area, so they had just completely blanketed this thing in bombs. They scored four hits and three near misses on and around the USS Arizona. Uh, a near miss off the port bow was thought to uh, be a torpedo hit, but it was found that there was no torpedo damage. So it was just a, merely a bomb that missed. Um, sternmost bomb ricocheted off the, tur- the face of uh, turret number four. So, uh, yeah, that 18 inches of armor there is really paying off now. But it did penetrate the deck to detonate in a captain's pantry, and this caused a small fire. Uh, the next most forward most hit uh, was near the port edge of the ship and uh, detonated in the an- area of the anti-torpedo bulkhead, so basically no damage or no harm done. And uh, another bomb struck near uh, near the port rear 5-inch AA gun, so probably took out an, an AA gun, which is not very good because, as you know, in World of Warships and in real life, the Arizona did not exactly have top-notch anti-aircraft armament. So at 0806, in the vicinity of turret number two, so you're thinking about B turret, uh, there was a bomb that hit between, or just in front of it and uh, behind turret number one, so A turret. Um, And this penetrated the armored decks and likely penetrated one of either the black powder or the smokeless powder magazines. And about seven seconds after the hit, the magazines detonated and resulted in a catastrophic explosion that tore the ship effectively in two. So you think of just crash bang as this thing is going through the, all the armor deck straight into the magazine. And then you look, imagine being a sailor on the deck, looking down into the hole, seeing straight down into the magazines as this bomb's just sitting there. So if you see that, you apparently had seven seconds to get off the ship and uh, get out of immediate kill zone, I guess. So you think of 1 1,000, 2 1,000, 3 1,000, 4 1,000, 5 1,000, 6 1,000, 7 1,000, bang. That's crazy. I just can't imagine how just deafening and shocking that explosion was. It was so shocking and displaced so much air that it actually put out fires on ships nearby the US Arizona, USS Arizona. So, just, just let that see you for a second. This, this explosion on USS Arizona displaced so much air that it put out fires. I think that's crazy. But, yeah, as you can um, kind of uh, guess, there was... Uh, uh, there was not much left to the USS Arizona after after this explosion. There was debris that settled all the way across Ford Island, um, on the other side of Ford Island, so hundreds of meters away, uh, and 1,177 people were instantly killed. And this was out of 1,512 crewmen who were on board at the time. So this is approximately half the lives that were lost in the entire surprise attack. So you can just kind of put that in perspective. So how many personnel were in that attack and how many died on this one ship it's pretty crazy uh certainly very very dramatic and one of the largest losses of life 
in U.S. Navy history, period. So you might be thinking, well, how did this happen? Well, and that's a reasonable uh, or question because smokeless powder is actually kind of hard to detonate. So it usually requires some other fire to, to detonate this powder. It doesn't just, explosions usually don't detonate it, which is kind of strange because it's an explosive. You'd think that more explosions would detonate this uh, smokeless powder and then lead to even more explosions. Well, and that explosion likely came from uh, what appears to be a uh, open armored uh, magazine for black powder. And this black powder was used to uh, power a catapult, the aircraft catapults on the back of the, or on the stern, rather, of the USS Arizona. It was likely that the door was left open or there's some black powder outside that started on fire or possibly exploded as well, which in turn created enough force to blow a hole in the magazine, or not even blow a hole, just uh, detonate the magazine, and then just tear the entire ship apart. Uh, so that that's likely what happened, although there's some other theories on what happened. And quite uh, reasonably, there was lots of medals that were given out, or maybe not lots, but a few medals that were given out to sailors. So Lieutenant Commander Samuel G. Uh, Fuqua, I think is how you say his name, uh, who was a ship's damage control officer, earned the Medal of Honor for his cool-headedness while quelling fires and getting survivors off of the battleship. Uh, Posthumous awards and the Medal of Honor also went to two high-ranking officers who were on board the battleship when it was destroyed. Rear Admiral Kidd, the first flag officer killed in the Pacific War, and Admiral Van Vakenborough, who reached a bridge and was attempting to defend his ship when the bomb hit the onboard ammunition magazines, which destroyed it. Uh, Arizona was awarded one battle star for her service in World War II, which consisted of, um, I think, 15-minute service, but uh, deserved it nonetheless. So uh, USS Arizona wasn't originally intended to be salvaged, but when it was seen that her bow was basically sliced clean off of the ship, uh, it was determined that it was not no longer worth it to salvage the ship, and she was declared a war memorial. Uh, the... Uh, superstructure of the ship was scrapped because it was deemed a hazard to the harbor because it could fall over and cause blockages. Um, so that was scrapped, and the turrets were actually used on uh, shore batteries on Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands, just in case it came under Japanese shore attack. And uh, they were also used on uh, USS uh, Nevada. So the guns on uh, the turret number two were actually installed on USS Nevada in uh, fall of 1944 after they had been uh, straightened because, you know, they had been bent by uh, the explosions and uh, realigned. So the USS Nevada actually fired these guns against the Japanese islands of Okinawa and Iwo Jima. That's kind of funny. So it's the uh, USS Arizona's way of getting back at her attackers. And so that is the end of USS Arizona. The or most of the hull of USS Arizona is actually uh, still in Pearl Harbor to this day. Uh, there is still one gun turret that is uh, on the ship uh, still, and you can actually go visit the ship. They have kind of like a bridge sort of thing. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the United States, they have a sort of a bridge a thing over the USS Arizona where you can uh, look down upon the ship, which uh, someday. Someday I'll get out to uh, USS Arizona Memorial to see that. I think that would be really cool. Also, USS Missouri is uh, a museum ship, just 
uh, just in front of the USS Arizona Memorial. So what is the USS Arizona Memorial? Is she still a commissioned ship, like ceremoniously commissioned? Uh, not necessarily. She's under the control of the National Park Service, so she's not perpetually in commission like the USS Constitution, but she still uh, is uh, in the like she still has the right to be called USS like most museum ships today uh they don't technically have the right to be called USS although everybody calls them that technically they should just be called battleship or destroyer or like like battleship Missouri or battleship Wisconsin they don't have the technically have the right to be called USS but USS Constitution and USS Arizona still have the right to be called as such and it's been designated like national landmarks and sort of things so it's a uh, very protected place it's actually considered a national shrine and uh people uh, or survivors of the attack may ask to have their ashes placed within the ship among their fallen comrades uh veterans who served on the ship in other times which i don't think there's going to be many of them left uh may have their ashes scattered on the water above the ship which i think is really cool and to this day about 2.3 quarts a day of oil from USS Arizona's full fuel tank still seeps into the harbor which i think is quite amazing that USS Arizona has that much fuel oil in it but i think that just wraps up the history section of this episode on USS Arizona uh, I will be back quickly with the World of Warships section of this episode. Welcome back to Rank Amateur, and we are on the World of Warships section of the episode on USS Arizona. So, without further ado, let's get into the specifications of USS Arizona. So, USS Arizona is a Tier 6 premium U.S. battleship. Uh, it has 57,200 hit points with a 37% torpedo damage reduction. And she is a remarkably tough ship, or, okay, I should rephrase that. She's not a tough ship in terms of her resistance to high explosive spam. She tends to take an incredible amount of damage from high explosive spam. Uh, but uh, she is very hard to citadel because her citadel is pretty much below the waterline, and it is covered by a turtleback armor arrangement similar to German battleships. Although it uh, is not quite as angled as German battleships, but it is uh, still pretty effective at presenting citad or preventing citadels. I don't think I've really ever been citadel in this ship. Uh, not that I would go giving broadside to everything like a, maybe a German battleship can, uh, but it is uh, fairly hard to citadel. Uh, so the main battery, you have those 356mm 45 caliber Mark 8 rifles, uh, four turrets of three guns each. They have a 35-second reload, which is bad. It's a really long reload, and so I'd recommend buffing that, but more on that later. 180-degree uh, turn time of 60 seconds. So yes, these guns take forever to turn around, so you really do want to try and keep your enemies on one side of you as much as possible. Uh, they have a base firing range of 16 kilometers, a maximum dispersion of a uh, pretty tight 220 meters for a uh, tier 6 battleship. The HE Shelly fires the 356mm HEHC uh, Mark 22 shell, does 5,000 uh, maximum damage, has a chance of fire of 30%, which it's average. It's usable, I would say. 
Uh, initial HE shell velocity is 834 meters a second. HE shell weight is 578.34 kilograms. The AP shell is a 356 millimeter AP Mark 16 shell. Maximum AP shell damage is 10,300. Initial AP shell velocity is 792 meters a second. So you got a little bit more of an arc on there. Uh, not too bad for a U.S. ship, but still a bit of an arc. Uh, AP shell weight is eight or 680.4 kilograms. Uh, secondary armament is uh, the, you have 10 5-inch 51 caliber guns, so 127 millimeter firing range, 4 kilometers, 7-second reload, uh, 1,800 maximum damage with a 960 meter second velocity with a 6% fire chance, which uh, isn't great. I mean, there's five on each side, but... U.S. battleships usually, or at least at this tier, are not known for their uh, secondary power. That's more of a German thing. A defense is not very good. Uh, I forget what it's rated at, but it's, it's it, it'll kind of defend itself. But since the carrier rework, it's what even is AA? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not even really worth talking about, even for an AA spec shift. So nothing special there, if not a little bit. Worse. It's not quite as bad as the uh, West Virginia 1941 edition, but uh, it's certainly not anything to write home about. Maneuverability, same thing. Maximum speed of 21 knots. Turning circle radius of a really tight 640 meters. Rudder shift time of a slightly slower 14.6 seconds, but that's not really noticeable because it is a battleship. You're not. I mean, you can d still dodge shells pretty effectively um, with that rudder shift time, but it's nothing like a cruiser. Uh, concealment detectability range for surface is 14.4 kilometers. Air detectability range is 8.9. Uh, so the optimal configuration is uh, pretty typical for battleships, or at least U.S. battleships. So you got main armaments mod one, damage control mod one, artillery platting mod one, damage control systems mod two. Really, really no reason to switch that around because uh, there's it's just the best configuration for U.S. battleship. Uh, commander skills. I recommend for your first skill, you want to go with Priority Target, although a lot of people do go with uh, Preventative Maintenance, and that's because they feel that their uh, main guns get incapacitated a lot. However, I don't really have a problem with that, so I go with Priority Target because it lets me know how many people are targeting me. Um, as far as Tier 2, you could go with High Alert, although I highly, highly recommend Expert Marksman or uh, Adrenaline Rush. So Adrenaline Rush is um, going to decrease the reload of your guns as your HP deteriorates, and Expert Marksman is going to increase or decrease the time it takes to traverse your guns, which is very useful because the turret traverse on these guns is slow. High Alert reduces the reload to your damage control party. I personally don't use it on my Arizona, which remember, I do have this ship. I do play it a lot, and I quite enjoy it. Um, High Alert, nah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't use it. I use expert marksman and adrenaline rush. Um, so with tier three, as are our three point commander skills, you can go with basic survivability, superintendent. Uh, you could go with that. I personally prefer superintendent. Um, however, basic survivability because this thing does take so much HE and fire damage. I think I might actually come back when I get a, a higher point captain and do basics of survivability. I have superintendent so far. Um, uh, you could, for four point skills, you could 
do fire prevention or uh, concealment expert. Uh, either one's okay. Uh, there, there's really no good four-point skill on the USS Arizona because it really doesn't need any of them. Uh, but fire prevention is particularly useful because uh, the maximum number of fires you could possibly have burning on your ship is reduced to three from four. And as I said, this thing likes to get lit up like a Christmas tree all the time for whatever reason. Uh, so that that could be particularly useful, although I think uh, basics of survivability is also useful. Uh, now we go on to the signal flags, which you can or can't fly. I mean, it's it's really up to you. Uh, so, for the combat signal flags, highly, highly recommend India Yankee, which is going to reduce the fire duration. India Delta, which is going to increase the amount of HP you can recover. Um, I see a lot of people swearing by Sierra Mike, which is going to add a 5% increase to your ship's maximum speed. I personally don't ever run Sierra Mike on my battleships, unless I have like a a trial of the Dunkirk, or if I go by the Dunkirk, I might, because that's a particularly fast battleship, or when I get up to North Carolina. Um, but it's just so bad. It's like polishing a turret. It's going to get you like 22 knots. It's really not that much of a difference. Don't recommend wasting your Sierra Mike uh, signals on that, because it'd be better suited on the destroyer. Um, you can't do the secondary batteries, uh, Mike, yeah, Mike Yankee or Sock Sticks or something like that. Uh, but that's just going to buff your secondary battery. I don't personally use it because I never really get close enough to um, have my secondary battery start firing. But if uh, if that's more your play style, yeah, go ahead and do that. Two flags I really, really recommend flying are India Yankee and India Delta. And I recently have started flying Juliet Charlie, which is going to reduce the or completely eliminate the risk of your magazine detonation. Uh, this is just because the other day I was playing in my, uh, or no, actually this is a little bit ago, but when I had my New Orleans, I was playing and I had went behind an island and was just kind of using cover and doing a ton of damage, or was going to do a ton of damage because I was in a position to have flanking shots. And I mean, ship, first, ship, or first shot ever fired at me in the battle hits uh, what seems to be a harmless position uh, on the turret and... I completely blow up, and yeah, I got detonated. So I, from now on, I always fly Juliet Charlie flags. As far as economic signals, uh, whichever ones you have, throw them on there. Uh, as it's a premium ship, it does get the camouflage uh, that increases your economic earnings per battle, so you really don't need to run uh, signals, but if you're really just kind of trying to credit grind, yeah, they can be useful, or credit or experience grind, they're useful. So... Now we get into the pros and cons of the ship. So, pros. This ship is very strong in terms of hit points. It's got one of the highest amount of hit points for Tier 6 battleships, and that's pretty useful. Uh, it's useful on any ship. Uh, the broadside is pretty heavy, especially if you're shooting at a broadside. Well, anything, it's probably just going to get demolished. Uh, because you do have 12 guns and 4 triple turrets. Uh, the dispersion is actually pretty good, and the Sigma is awesome. I often fire these uh, guns and get really, really tight salvos. There's this in New Mexico where you fire and you get like Richelieu or Gneisenau type dispersion where it's just and it just barfs everywhere all over uh, where you're supposed to be aiming. It's really frustrating, but not with the Arizona. With the Arizona, most of the time, not all the time, you still get those wonky RNG salvos, but most of the time, you're getting uh, very, very good to, uh, stigma and uh, uh, shell groupings. Uh, so the Citadel is thickly armored, so 
rarely, rarely, rarely do you ever get citadeled in Arizona. Now, I'm not saying that you won't get citadeled if you do something stupid like give broadside to an Ismail or something like that. Uh, Ismails are very scary ships when you're broadside to them. Uh, and it also has a very tight turning circle radius. So that's um, that's also pretty good. But it's, that's pretty typical of the lower tier and mid tier American battleships. So what are the cons of the ship? Well, the main battery reload speed's terrible. It's 35 seconds to get these guns reloaded, which can be disappointing, especially if you do have a wonky salvo and it misses. It can be punishing. Turret traverse speed is uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very slow. It's not cool. Uh, but the reload speed is better than the Oklahoma. Uh, I've heard interesting things about the Oklahoma. It just kind of seems to be a down-tiered uh, uh, USS Arizona with a longer reload speed. Uh, and base, uh, mean battery firing range without that, uh, artillery plotting room modification one is, uh, lackluster. I mean, you'll be outranged by some cruisers at this tier. So, or maybe not that, that, at this tier, but in your matchmaking spread, you'll be outranged by cruisers, which can be annoying. Uh, and it's also covered in that 26 millimeter plating that makes playing the, uh, Colorado sometimes a very, very, uh, interesting experience. Because it's very vulnerable to HE spam, and yeah, and it seems to get set afire a lot. I mean, I don't know. That's maybe just my luck, my strange luck. But uh, it, I seem to be burning constantly in the battle. So um, the AA is lackluster. But like, what is AA? I mean, I've I've just done for the heck of it experiments in my Ranger where I literally just flew over. I, I found. The most with a few of my squadrons. Now I didn't just throw away my planes all the time, but with a few of my squadrons, I found the most tightly grouped ships uh, that had clustered AA in the battle I was playing and flew my planes over them, and then attacked. And I was still able to get a full attack squadron off. Now I was able to uh, recall the whole squadron. No, but I did recall six out of. Yeah, I, I forget what the squadron size on the Ranger is, but I had like five or six planes left, which I was I was expecting them all to be destroyed, but they weren't, which it just shows you that AA needs to be seriously buffed. Um, and it's also just extremely slow, but I mean, I don't know if that's exactly a con to US Battleship because you're just expecting it to be slow until you get to the, um, uh, to the North Carolina. So, what does the ship play like? What do I have success playing it? Well, it's it's a good... I, I personally really like this ship. It's very good at holding flanks and pushing flanks as well. Uh, now, I'm not saying you should go way out in the flanks, like let's say a Dunkirk or something might do, and just sit out there just splashing them. No, you probably go... Since you're slow, you just go straight to the cap. By the time you get there, there's going to be fighting everywhere. So, you just... Uh, if you're winning and the other team's turning around or just kind of stopping at you, you push in and then bow on. You just start slinging your, um, slinging your armor piercing and just wrecking them. Also, I have noticed that the firing angles appear to be better when you're kiting than when you're facing them. So you're more, you're easier, to, or it's easier to get the forward turrets firing backwards than the back or uh, stern turrets firing forwards. Just seems to be an observation that I've made. Uh, but still, they're usable. And then, so you push the flanks and then just push straight on through. Or if you're being pushed against, the ship is very good at stopping enemy advances. Essentially, what you do is you turn around, uh, angle your armor, and stop. 
you'd be like, well, then you're a torpedo target. Well, yes, you are a torpedo target. So if there's destroyers running around the camp, you might, uh, or you should keep moving and like kind of uh, changing speed and course just to throw off their torpedo aim. However, um, if there's no destroyers or if it's an American destroyer, just sit there and either sit at quarter throttle or just stop and they won't be able to push into you because your armor is really good. Other than a war spite, you're really not going to see anything that can take you out easily, especially when you're angled. Even a New Mexico or an Ismail will struggle to push through you. And if they want to get all their guns firing, they're going to have to expose an uncomfortable amount of broadside, which you can easily punish. Now, these are 45 caliber rifles, so they don't quite have the penetration that the 50 caliber rifles on the uh, New Mexico will have but it's more than adequate for the arizona and cruisers if you see this ship be very careful be very very careful because it's sort of like the ismail and it has high amounts of punishing power uh i've never had to carry a game in this ship but i i think you could easily do it uh or maybe not easily carrying is not easy period but you could carry a game i've had very very good battles in this ship you're talking about like it's rare for me to get less than, than 40,000 damage on a bad game. Unlike a game where uh, I don't like exactly get in the position to fire, uh, or the enemy team doesn't put themselves in a position where I can fire around them, or I can't like position myself to get good shots in. Uh, still, 40,000 damage is common. It's, it's uh, a fairly easy ship to play. Uh, it's not super duper unique in that it doesn't have any like gimmicks or anything like that, but I I do prefer it over the New Mexico, and that's just because it has a higher stigma value, and that's that's uh, pretty cool because the New York does not have a good stigma value, nor is New Mexico or the Colorado, which makes those ships uh, really frustrating to play. So this is kind of a, a welcome relief from uh, those ships, and when you get those tight dispersions, and uh, rarely do you get wonky shots. Uh, so eventually what will happen is you'll be stopping on those flanks. So if you're losing the flank, back to like playing the ship, if you're losing the flank, you stop, you angle, and you just start firing and holding as much as you can. And usually by that time, your team will probably get their crap together and either win the other flank and push around or kind of come and help you out. Uh, usually what I do there is I just say, I'm, I'll hold the flank, and then you guys... Go and push. I'll just I'll draw fire. You push, and that's what usually when the destroyers come around side my side, and then uh, push through me, and uh, use their torpedoes to kind of keep the enemy team at bay. And I've I've pushed back uh, many uh, enemy teams and kind of gotten them in a crossfire uh, with the other side with the other flank, and it's it, it's very good at holding flanks. Now, with operations, I don't really know if I'd recommend this ship. So, the problem with operations is you're often chasing something. Like, you're trying to get, like, um, with Raptor Rescue, you're trying to rescue the aircraft carrier Raptor. Um, you can't really keep up with them. And that's the problem that the U.S. Navy had with these battleships, period, is that they were so slow, they couldn't keep up with convoys. Or, uh, like, they couldn't escort aircraft carriers just because they were so slow. So I often find myself being singled out behind the, um, I guess behind the main group and just getting focused. Or in Operation Aegis, there's, um, you start in a spawn point and there's this big island in front of the spawn point, maybe like eight kilometers out or something like that. And the first enemy ship spawned behind this island, or 
uh, spawn, yeah, basically spawn behind an island. And the problem with this operation is if you don't get behind that island quickly, there is a just an absolute ton, or not more than one ton, but like a lot of enemy ships that will spawn uh, on your side of the island. And a lot of faster ships will go on on uh, the opposite. Once the first enemy ships are killed, they'll go on the opposite side of the island, kind of take cover behind there. But the Arizona is not fast enough to do that. It gets caught in the open and focused down instantly. I played that operation a few times with this ship, and every single time that's what happens. So that can be a little frustrating. Uh, so that I don't recommend this ship for operations because it, it just gets focused down by those uh, Japanese high explosive uh, shots, and it's very frustrating. But overall, the ship is really fun to play. I do like it. Uh, I it's so. F I mean, I, I only have one tier six premium battleship, but I really enjoy playing this ship. Uh, once my friend, who I've been playing in Divisions with a lot, gets to Tier 6, we'll probably head out in uh, his Tier 6 battleship in my Arizona and just totally carry games. And I found that this ship is easy to play and doesn't have a very high skill cap. It's because it's pretty much a typical battleship with good stigma ratings. So, uh, what's the gist of this ship? I would say go to caps, or just kind of sit behind caps, if your team is winning, push, push, push. If your team is losing, turn around, angle, stop. And then, or assuming no destroyers, if there's destroyers, that gets a little bit more tricky. But if there's no destroyers or very few destroyers, uh, that's what it is. If there is destroyers, just kind of uh, change course and uh, try to avoid torpedoes, which tight turning circle radius of the ship should make it pretty easy to uh, avoid torpedoes. Would I recommend this ship? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Get this ship. It's very good. Um, a little frustrating, especially if you get focused by the anti- or it, it can be frustrating at times, but every ship can be, especially if you get focused by those aircraft carriers. But overall, I have had really no problems in this ship. I, I like playing it. Usually if you get killed in the Arizona, it's pretty much your fault. <laughs> um, you probably did something you shouldn't have. But it's it's good to have, like, if you're just having a bad day in general, the Arizona is a good ship to go to and just have fun, especially because it's Tier 6. Uh, a lot of the ships aren't really all that overpowered. They're pretty balanced, so it could be a lot of fun. Or is a lot of fun, rather. But that is the for this episode of Rank Amateur. I hope you enjoyed it. I really loved making this. Uh, if you have any questions or suggestions or thoughts on World of Warships, this podcast, or uh, ships to do in the future, please don't be afraid to email me at rankamateurpodcast at, or, yeah, at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. I really like reading your emails and responding to them, and I will read them out on the podcast. Uh, also, be sure to check out my merchandise stores, which are linked in the description of this episode. And until next time, Captains... 